0: Inventors reach the same fork in the road, it seems. They have to decide between
1: selling their idea or building a product themselves. There's no easy right or wrong answer, and both licensing and manufacturing can be profitable. It comes down to goals, investments, and what you want from your business career. If
0: your idea is ready to market, but you're not sure whether you should go for licensing or manufacturing, stay tuned. Today on Biz 503, we're covering the pros and cons.
1: I'm Kedma O oh, director of the SBDC Mount Hood Community College, and I also lead innovation for our 19 centers. And I'm co-hosting with Rebecca Webb, founder of Portland Radio Project.
0: With us in the studio now, Steve Davis, a partner at the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Glad to to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about Davis Wright Tremaine's role in the licensing
2: versus manufacturing arena. So by way of background, Davis Wright Tremaine is a full service, large law firm kind of headquartered in the Pacific Northwest. And if someone was coming to us with a question of this kind, uh, they would tend to be approaching us on the licensing side of this equation. And what they're doing is they're coming to us saying, we are going to outsource the development of our product. And in connection with that, there are going to be a number of legal terms and conditions and we're going to ask you to review that for us, make sure, you know, this agreement's in good shape and we're adequately protected.
0: So we've got a game maker on today, and we're mm-hmm. going to introduce her in just a few minutes. But is that the sort of person who might come to you?
2: Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, I have a um, video game company that publishes titles with third parties. And so they would come to us with a publishing agreement. And that that agreement is uh, an, an agreement where a third party is going to take on the responsibility of actually... Uh, you know, publishing the game, uh, promoting the game in some way. And the company is going to basically see a royalty payment for the copies of the game that are sold.
1: So can you give us a sense of what you look for when you're working with clients who want to have a licensing deal? What are some of the factors you want to pay attention to?
2: So, and I'm going to approach this primarily from the standpoint of an attorney who's a business transactions attorney, not an intellectual property attorney, so mm-hmm. we're we're kind of different beasts, and an intellectual property attorney would be more focused on the actual value of your idea, the uniqueness of it. Uh, I'm looking at this primarily just as a business transaction, mm-hmm. sort of like uh the economics of a business arrangement between two parties. but I would say generally the themes that recur in the choice between manufacturing and licensing are, you know, when you are manufacturing a product on your own, you're frequently confronted with that being more expensive. You're confronted with having to gain expertise in things that you may not have brought to the table to begin with, like the quality of the raw materials going into your finished goods, how to market a product successfully, what trade shows to go to, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to gain expertise that you didn't have to begin with. On the flip side of that, I think the advantages to doing it yourself are frequently that if you do it and do it well, you can end up with sort of a a more beneficial financial arrangement for yourself. And the flip side of that, on the licensing side, I think you worry primarily about the fact that certain things are now out of your control, that you are depending on someone else to meet a deadline of yours. Whereas you feel like if you're doing it yourself, you have more ability to exert control over that. Um, I guess I would also say that The flip side is you don't have to gain that expertise. You don't necessarily have to learn how to tool something or smelt something. You can outsource that to someone else.
0: Can you talk about what is going on in the Portland area? We have so many makers. Do we have more makers, manufacturers, or people who are pursuing licensing?
2: Portland, to me, you may have a, yeah. a, a good take on this, but I, I would say it seems like a real maker community to me. It does.
1: So. Absolutely. It's it's a hotbed for coming up with ideas. And it seems like every single person I meet has a great idea in their mind that they want to develop. And uh, we're very fortunate to have the resources that allow them to take an idea from sort of ideation through commercialization. So I would say uh, we are unique and not every city has this many resources available to them.
0: Including manufacturing, it seems, mm-hmm. actual manufacturing. But that seems like it opens a whole new hotbed of complications. As, as you pointed out, you might need to get expertise in areas that you don't have it, mm-hmm. right down to you know, labor and actual tools and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to add about that?
1: I have to just say, uh, having I live in the inventor world, so full disclosure, I am a board member for United Inventors Association, which is the nonprofit that supports inventors around the country. We support every single inventor club. And I just came back two o'clock this morning from our uh, amazing board meeting, but I see a lot of value in licensing. So I'm excited to just continue the conversation. See, you don't need much sleep. No, no, because I'm a crazy inventor. So So let's talk about
0: what kinds of decisions you make in the lead up to, you know, let's just say that uh, you're our game maker who's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. What are the considerations that she should undertake in order to decide what's right for her, licensing versus manufacturing?
2: If I were evaluating that situation and I were looking at uh, having someone else print all your cards, I would be looking at... uh, who you're going to work with, who's going to produce a high-quality finished good that feels good in your hand, You know uh, the the mechanics of distribution of the product, and what those third parties are going to do for you and what they're not going to do for you, what you're going to have to do yourself. I guess I would say, uh, depending on where you go, the further you go away from, we'll just call it the first world for manufacturing, the more of a penalty you will pay, basically, uh, if things go badly with that arrangement. So if you have contractors in the Ukraine and you know, and someone doesn't deliver the goods, good luck chasing after them within the Ukrainian legal system to get recourse, right? You better so.
0: hope somebody in the White House uh, has that <laughs> connection.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come from a different perspective. So I do innovation feasibility every week. And I would say the first thing I'm paying attention to is where they are with the patent process. Because if I'm thinking about at least consumer product, which is where I focus a lot, of consumer product licensing, you know, a lot of times to get that licensing deal they want to know what skin in the game you have. So do you have a patent pending? Do you have a patent issued? Is there anything novel about this idea? Now, that doesn't mean because you don't have a patent that it's not, you know, something you can bring to the market. But from a licensing perspective, I'm paying attention to what is unique and what kind of protection are you bringing to the table? Because to your comment, while there is a lot of benefits to licensing, I think from their perspective, they want to make sure if they're investing in something that there's going to be some kind of return and some value behind it. So I'm going to be paying attention to that. And of course, the other things I'm paying attention to is uh, market reach. I'm paying attention to what the actual consumers have already said. Because I love when people come to me and say, what do you think? Don't worry about what I think. What are your customers saying? Because what I think really doesn't matter if you have 100,000 people who say, I love this game.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about something that you alluded to, Steve, you know, the offshore manufacturing. Can either of you guys offer any
1: perspective
0: on what's happening in Portland in terms of manufacturing and how often it's
2: going overseas? Well, in, and I work with a lot of startup companies and I would say um, I see all sorts of mm-hmm. uh, offshoring of some element of development of your product, whether that's software or some kind of mm-hmm. a tangible good. You know, you just see some element of being done elsewhere in the world.
1: I see that as well. And I think one of the concerns, obviously, is people always want to save money, but then they don't realize the cost involved. Mm when you're dealing with companies that are not here. The other thing is there may be communication challenges. You know, often I've seen barriers where they may be trying to communicate something, but what they've communicated is not what they receive. And the third thing which scares most inventors is the copycat situation. So here you have a protection in the U.S., You've sent something overseas and all of a sudden you see it's being now produced in a different way in another part of the world. And how do you protect yourself? And so there are different strategies to avoid that. But again, I think there's some pros and cons. I think price point is the pro, but there are also things you have to pay attention to.
0: And I would guess shipping is also, I mean, Mm -hmm. just the timing and all of that logistical matters.
2: Yep. Everything from shipping to currency fluctuation risk, things like that. Like you order something and then three months later, the currency is a third of what it used to be, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Right. And customs. Go ahead.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things we have at the SBDC is we have a whole international trade program. So for clients who are interested in working overseas and understanding that process, We have a full program to support that, but a lot of what you're mentioning are absolutely concerns. And really the goal in any kind of business decision is just to be prepared for things that may come up and how do you handle that? And also who are your go-to resources? So, you know, do you need a broker? Do you need someone in that country that is going to have your back? I work with a phenomenal uh, company that all they deal with is manufacturing in China. That's all they deal with. So a lot of resources, but it really comes down to Does it fit your business model?
2: I'm curious if you have any practical suggestions for people who are doing that. So does it matter, for example, to physically go to that place and meet great with question. the people in, in person?
1: That's a great question. And while I would love to say yes, I would say that there are individuals who do that already. I'm going to call out Edith Tolchin. Um, she is a national expert and she's had wonderful relationships with manufacturers, but also look to Business Oregon. Business Oregon has established relationships with many manufacturers outside the country, specifically specifically for that. So they've gone to a lot of locations to see and vet if it's legitimate. And also I have to say, I love Alibaba. You know, it's international and there's many ways you can um, go on to that site and decipher whether they've had a review, what the reports look like. You know, so again, we have to weigh how much money that inventor has. And if an inventor came to me and said, look, I only have $10,000. Should I spend 5,000 going to the plant? No. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. So, again, it depends on where they are and what's at stake and how much they have to invest.
0: So, no one size fits all mentality. That's pretty obvious. We're going to get more into the details of licensing and manufacturing coming up. We're going to meet our game maker right after a short break.
2: You're listening to Biz 503. The podcast for small businesses, startups, and anyone who wants to turn their idea into income. Biz 503 on PRP.
1: Welcome back to Biz 503 on PRP. I'm Kedma Oh. I'm with Mount Hood Community College, SBDC, and I lead innovation for the 19 centers. And I'm co-hosting with Rebecca Webb of Portland Radio Project.
0: Today on Biz 503, how to decide between licensing and manufacturing your product.
1: Joining us now on the show, Colleen St- Founder and creator of Friend or Foe and Steve Davis from Davis Wright Tremaine. Glad to have you both.
0: Good to be Thank you. And that's Friend or Foe, F-A-U-X. Yes, as in friend or
1: foe. (laughs) Tell us about the game,
3: Colleen. I'm dying to hear. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So two years ago, some girlfriends and I got together over margaritas and just started uh, <laughs> making a game. And uh, That's how most good ideas come uh, about. Exactly, exactly, right? And so uh, one of my friends just started asking us questions, and we actually ended up sitting there for closing the bar down, asking each other questions about each other to see how much we knew about each other. And then two years later, four prototypes, testing with over 300-plus users and really forming that product to what it is today— We just recently launched a Kickstarter and had it fully funded this month. So this is actually a perfect time for us because we are right at that point where we know that consumer demand, people love our game, and we are excited to get it out in the market. And now we just need to make that pivotal decision. Do we self-manufacture or do we uh, license
0: Cool. So, this is good timing. Is your
3: Kickstarter done yet? Yes, we just finished. And
0: you are successful.
3: Fully funded. Yeah, raised $25,000. All right. Let's
0: say that you, Steve, Kedma, and I are going to play the game.
3: (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) How does it go? So, the game is really designed to see how much you really know about each other and how much you're willing to share about yourself. So, um, you can play with groups from two to uh, how many ever? Twenty. And... You just start out and ask a question. So we'll just play a little round real quick, right? Okay. Steve, you ready? Sure. So you're going to ask a question, and we're all going to answer what we know about yourself. So just read the question, and we will write down the answer as if we know Steve for a long
2: time or not. So if I could have a free housekeeper or a personal chef for the rest of my life, which would I choose?
0: Okay, I know my answer. I don't even know Steve. I know, exactly. <laughs> I, know- I would
3: say just from our five minutes going back, I would say you'd want a personal chef. Is that right? I
1: right. So I figure he's a guy. He's going to want a housekeeper. <laughs> I, and I would say you would want Jennifer Lopez as your housekeeper. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, which is it, Steve? So I would go. I would go housekeeper.
3: Yes, uh,
0: because, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, because,
2: uh, because I think everybody hates housework. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
3: Okay, so what so, did I so win, then, Colleen? So then you would get a point, right? And then you move up. And so um, there's five rounds of increasingly revealing questions, and so. Can we do a revealing one? It it must be Kedna's turn. That was very tame, right? So let's just move up. Maybe we'll go to
1: round three. Kedna, you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. What accent can I do convincingly well? Oh, (laughs) I know her too well.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, you guys. I would say Spanish, maybe. I don't know.
2: Uh,
0: Australian. What do you think? Do Spanish or Australian. I
1: cannot do Spanish or Australian. Oh, you can't. Okay, Uh, so maybe
0: I don't know you that well. I was going to say like something Middle Eastern, you know, like Persian.
1: Yeah, I'm from Israel, so I can do Hebrew. There you go. So that's a prove it. So there's a prove it feature on there. So
3: some of the cards have prove it. So you'd actually have to... She would actually have to
1: prove Prove it. it I could say, shalom, manishma.
3: There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Quite convincing, no? Yes. And so the game's really designed... I mean, you go up increasingly... And it's just about funny moments that we all experience. Um, Okay, are we ready for... Another one? Do I get round a round five? Yep. Okay. okay. Let's
2: see, Rebecca. Do the, and these do the... these are uh, radio
3: appropriate ones. Oh Do the rounds correspond
2: with the number of drinks? Is that? The yeah, thing exactly. So. Well,
3: that is what we learned. Is uh, you know people were loosening up a little bit. They were okay wow. after a couple of. I love this. Okay, which X
0: have I stalked the most on social media? Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, should we do multiple choice? Was it my middle school wait, boyfriend, wait,
1: high school we, boyfriend, or college boyfriend? Can recuse at some point? <laughs> yes, you can so, skip. So
0: I would go with a college boyfriend. He's saying college. What do you say?
1: I'm still stalking, so I, I'm not <laughs> going to
3: disclose.
1: <laughs> okay. Who do you I would think say you,
0: you're uh, middle school. Okay, you guys, wow. Steve is the winner because I stalked my college boyfriend for 37 years. It's, what? it's just been recently our anniversary. <laughs> oh oh God. God. That's, that's awesome. So you get a point, awesome. Steve. I love I this love game.
3: That. That's how you play and everyone gets to play all the time. And it's just about really um, having face-to-face interactions. As we all know, we're all buried in our phones all the time. So it's about opening up communication and having fun and recalling those funny moments that happen in our lives. Yeah, that it's, it's really terrific. So tell us which path you chose, licensing or manufacturing? We have not. We actually are. It's this perfect timing because we're at a fork right now. We have a couple uh, companies that are interested and we are in discussions with right now, currently. Um, and so we are literally looking at what they're proposing and going back and forth and mm-hmm. doing the evaluation in our head.
1: So can you share a little bit about what your customers have said about this and how many have you yes. shared this wonderful yes. game with? So the first
3: prototype we did two years ago and we probably did a play test with over 100 people. The key factor we had there was we just made up questions and the thing we learned from there was people wanted more risky questions. So your wishes are command. We went there. We had to go into some fun spaces to try to think of some of those questions. But that's what people wanted. They wanted more risky questions. So then... The next prototype, we play tested that with another maybe 50 to 100 people. The insight there was um, people needed to ease their way in. So we had all these risky questions now. If you pulled one of these number five questions right out the gate, there was a level of uncomfort at that point. It's like, whoa, hold on a minute. We just sat down. I haven't we even had drink wine other. yet, so I'm not <laughs> going to answer that. So that was the insight to say, you know what, like we need to do these increasing rounds of revealing questions, and so that's where we are now. Um, we also found that the game play itself, the points, it's sort of a proxy in a way. Like people, it, it's people like the game aspect of it, but that's sort of um, the secondary thing, right? It's really the key moments and the funny memories you recall, or what people really remember and like. But the game keep people engaged. And that competition element, people want to win and they want to play a game. So it's a...
1: You know, and as I'm listening to this, I'm so curious to understand your customer profile. I just can't imagine if my grandmother was alive, yes. that she'd be doing this as opposed to bingo. Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
3: So that's good. Let's talk about that. So initially, we targeted it toward women at first, right? So it was for us. Um, then when we were play testing, we realized our husbands and our kids and our partners wanted to play too. So we when we are we targeted last year to go to the Chicago Toy and Game Fair mm. and to do the vendors track there and at that point we said okay let's make three different prototypes and let's see what the industry thinks about which direction we should go. So we actually went to the Chicago Toy and Game Fair with three different ones one for couples so we made questions for couples and really you're talking you know 18 to 40-ish, right? And again, it's more about a a psychographic versus demographic because the psychographic, you know, maybe my grandma, she's wild and crazy. She would totally (laughs) would want to answer some of these round five questions where my conservative aunt, absolutely no way she would die if she read some of these. So it's more of a psychographic (laughs) mentality. So we went with couples version, a ladies night version, and then a family version. And Mm. the family version is interesting. And that's actually where we're going to go next. But Right now, we decided to combine the, fam- the uh, couples and the ladies' night into one. So that's what we have today. We strip back all the lady-specific questions. It's very gender-neutral, and actually, we were play-testing it with a lower age group, um, and we're finding that the millennials and the college-age crowd really loves this mm-hmm. um, because they are indeed so stuck on their phones that this is just encouraging the face-to-face interaction that maybe they aren't. Accustomed to right. in today's world. And what do you charge for it? Uh, right now, retail will be anywhere from nineteen ninety five to 95 $25. $25. Yeah. So,
0: Steve, let's say Colleen comes to Davis Wright Tremaine and says, okay, I have this game and here's where we are in the process. Do you recommend that I go the licensing route or the manufacturing route? What kinds of questions are you going to ask her? What are you going to want to know from her in order to give her good advice?
2: Well, I, I guess I would say, uh, you know, I don't know how far you are in the discussions with the potential um, third parties for licensing arrangements, but I would want to know the basic like economics of those arrangements and what you are ultimately going to realize or be guaranteed to realize out of a, you know, out of each unit sold. And then you'd basically be costing that out against how you'd come out if you were doing that yourself and mm-hmm. looking at, you know, and then making a choice between the two on that basis. mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would actually concur that. So I would look at five-year projections. So when I think about licensing, obviously every single agreement is different, but typically the average is 2 to 5%, sometimes could be as high as 7%, but let's say range 3 to 5%. I'm also looking at your price point. So I like that you're at $19.99 or $20. Um I'm going to look at minimum units that a potential company is going to take on. So uh, I work with a phenomenal company in the houseware uh, industry. I'm going to call him at Warren Tuttle. He's an innovation uh, specialist, But you know his company usually looks at scaling it up to fifty thousand a year for units. Mm-hmm. and they generally do it at a five year. So I would definitely look at pros and cons to that. I would also look at, is there going to be a cost to revise that game because as you're building it, you're going to have revisions. And you have to incur that cost versus having the company incur the cost. Uh, and certainly, if this is worldwide considerations and you have, again, a patent here, uh, that could be something you want to think about as well. You know, are you able to scale it uh, from the US to other parts of the world? And can they leverage that? So, typically, those companies, if they're in a long term relationship with you, they will often take on the burden of looking at other countries. Of course, that's going to come back to you at some point, Mm -hmm. right? They'll take it off uh, at some level uh, in terms of cost. But, you know, there's a lot of cost to bring the product to the market and to continue doing that. So I would absolutely do a five-year forecast look at both models. Mm -hmm. And also one last thing, I'm all about lifestyle. So, you know, everybody loves to play a game, but if you're sitting in the back of a warehouse, having to (laughs) look at each game and talk and deal with employees. You have to ask yourself, do you want to do that versus receiving a royalty check in the mail? Right. And that's a big thing to consider when you're thinking about lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. That's very good. What are you thinking,
3: Colleen?
0: (laughs) Well, I know, like,
1: uh, you know, I
3: have my day job and, uh, you know, if this could let me quit my day job, would I like that? I don't know. Maybe at first, but you're right, right? Would I be stuffing packages all day? Would that be fulfilling? Um, Yeah, I think one of the things that's kind of challenging for us is, I mean, this is our baby, like every other inventor's, right? And it's like, so when we're talking with these companies, it's like how much we've talked to some that are like, hand us over everything and get out of the way. And then others that are more, we want you involved, we want you to help with the iterations and so on and so forth. And I think we're definitely, that's a key consideration for us because we do want to be involved. Um, We have a family edition that we want to work on next. And that's part of the deal too. So we want to make sure that they're aligned Uh, Philosophically regarding that. And from a marketing and social media standpoint, it's really interesting because we've really done a lot of work on our social media and have this kind of fun tone with it. And when we're looking at some of these companies, they're not doing anything with their social media with these games specifically. So it's like, well, what is your plan from a social media standpoint? Because how are you going to guarantee that we're going to sell this game? Because we want you to be successful and us to be successful. So that's kind of what's spinning in our head. Like, what is your marketing plan? What's your distribution plan? what are your estimated volumes that you're planning on targeting for this game? Because clearly you're interested in it. What are you thinking that the volumes could be? And what are your channels? And, you know, like again, Mm -hmm. worldwide or just the US? Mm -hmm. The interesting thing for us is what we've found in this process is the games, especially board games, are not patentable. We can trademark. So we've got the name trademarked and we have some rules copywritten, but that's it. So it is a little bit uh, risky in that aspect, but that's just the nature of the beast. So it's kind of a uh, first to market.
2: And the, the cards themselves would be copyrighted. That's a written, to published right. work. So you'd have copyright protection uh-huh. for that. I guess one question that came to my mind is to what extent you have, either through trade shows or otherwise, been able to connect with people who are, who might even in some sense be, uh, you know, on paper, a competitor. Let's say someone like uh, Cards Against Humanity and been able to sit down with someone from a company like that and ask them, When you were first getting started, how did you do this, right? Uh, Because one of the things I'm consistently amazed by is the degree to which entrepreneurs will help someone out, even though they may nominally be a competitor. Uh, It's not, in fact, a dog-eat-dog world. In fact, people are more than happy. They're not going to necessarily open the door for you, but they would sort of say, well, at first, we learned that this was the way to do it. And so we were fumbling around, but then we figured it out. And this is what we did. Take that for what it's worth, but that's how we got there.
3: I'm glad you said that because we've just were thinking about this this last week when we have all these options. Because like I said, we went to the Chicago Toy and Game Fair. We met an amazing amount of people that spanned creators to game executives and so on and so forth. So we are in that process of reaching back out to inventors and people that have licensed games. Also, people that work for the gaming industry and experts to say, hey, what should we be considering here? So that's good advice. Thank you.
0: Is there some middle ground at all on this, Steve, where if she wants to retain a level of control, you
2: know, without actually taking on all of the responsibility of manufacturing,
0: is there middle ground?
2: I guess I guess <laughs> I would just say you can sometimes outsource elements of what you're doing. For example, if it was just printing thousands and thousands of cards, but you were going to take care of distribution and marketing, you know, you can outsource elements. So you can definitely divide it up. That, so that gives you leverage to increase your percentage. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think, and I'm only from personal experience, I think a lot of companies are going to look at exclusivity. Mm -hmm. And the idea of relinquishing control really comes down to, you know, do you want to be part of that artistic design? But, you know, if you're going to a large company, they've got a lot of resources. And certainly the way I look at it is you're choosing to marry that business that for that period Mm -hmm. of time, and you have to have that relationship. But I would be cautious about asking for too much because really you're one in thousands that are competing for Mm -hmm. a licensing deal. And so you have to weigh again, what they're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And as entrepreneurs, we always want to hold our little baby because it's so beautiful. And we think that we are the ones that can really manage that. But I think it really comes down to what you said is, what are they willing to do to scale it up? And really, for them, if they're going to invest any kind of capital into this, they have to make money on the back end. Mm-hmm. So it really wouldn't make sense for you to kind of fold into their inventory for them to lose money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just thinking in terms of Colleen saying she wants the next edition of mm-hmm. the game to be for kids mm-hmm. and family, mm-hmm. and, and she would you know essentially risk losing the control of that by handing over.
1: I mean, I would love to hear what others say, but um, usually if they're in a five-year contract, that would be embedded in the contract that any revisions, any additions that work together, because it's both parties. You may have this great family addition, but maybe they have a spinoff that you haven't thought of mm-hmm. that um, actually got tested really well and you don't want to lose that opportunity either, right? Mm -hmm. So it can't be inventor gets all, (laughs) (laughs) company doesn't. And I think it goes back to that relationship. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned, resources, mentors and best practices for those licensing and manufacturing when we come back.
2: Are you ready to turn your idea into cash or are you already launched and hitting roadblocks? Join PRP each Friday at 1 p.m. for Biz 503, the talk show for startups and small businesses.
0: Welcome back. I'm Rebecca Webb, co-hosting today with Kedma O on Biz 503.
1: Today, it's been all about licensing versus manufacturing. In this segment, we're looking at best practices, common mistakes, and how to get the help you need to succeed.
0: With us in studio today, Colleen Stalwick, who has created a very fun game that we got a chance to kind of sort of play called Friend or Foe, Faux, F-A-U-X, and Steve Davis from Davis Wright Tremaine, the law firm. Welcome back. Thank Glad you guys are here with us today. Does Colleen need to answer any more questions or is she ready to go as far as making her choice on licensing versus manufacturing?
2: I guess I would say, do you feel like you've scoped out the economics of your arrangements, licensing versus doing it yourself at this I'd point. say
3: I'm right in the process of that. So okay. if there's any uh, formulas, tips, and tricks, I'd be to love to hear those. <laughs> Basically, I have a nice little spreadsheet and I'm uh, crunching some numbers and looking at that sort of stuff.
0: I'm curious where the blanks on your spreadsheet are. Are there some unanswered questions for you? Um, you did bring your spreadsheet. I
3: do. You want to <laughs> see it? No. Seriously? Um, <laughs> I think one of the things was like handling current inventory. So clearly we just did this Kickstarter, right? And um, we're going to have some inventory from that. So how typically do companies handle that? Will they buy it back from us? Do we sell through that inventory? And then we, you know, then they produce it at a larger scale. Have you guys dealt with that situation before?
2: When I've seen uh, inventors or makers of take title to their own product, basically I've, I've been in people's houses where the walls are lined with the product. <laughs> <you> know, so that's <laughs> usually what happens to it. She may be stuck with that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think that, well, you have to do your fulfillment for Kickstarter. And I do have to call out a little bit of concern with crowdfunding, only because I've just back from a meeting, you know, patent trolls. So one of the notorious new ways of copycatting ideas is to go to a crowdfunding platform like a Kickstarter, Indiegogo. And, you know, if a company is pulling in by day two $50,000, Um, You know, that's probably a hot item that someone wants to take on and re-engineer. And then all of a sudden you notice, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I put together. Um, So the reality is, is that if you were under my advisement, I would say there's an economic decision that you can easily determine by your financials, right? It's black and white Mm -hmm. based on your projections. Then there is the time feasibility, how much time and effort you want to put in and where do you see yourself? One of my favorite inventors, Christine Knapp, invented a new bra, a modification of a new bra. And she had it licensed by a very large company. And I call her Pharma Knapp because every week for the duration of that license, she would go to her mailbox on a Friday and pull out that check (laughs) And just farm the rest of the week, you know? And that was her lifestyle for almost 20 years. So I think you have to decide sort of where that time is. And then the third thing is what's the evolution of you and this business? Is it something you truly see as a business where you're going to be out promoting this? Is it your brand? Is it who you're going to profile with? Or is it something where you say, I really want to be in the business of product development and I'm on to the next idea? So those are some hard decisions you have to make that are both financially based and emotionally based.
0: Are there some best practices, Steve, uh, when you are ready to move forward with either licensing or manufacturing? What is your initial advice? I assume you have some kind of a template that you sort of begin that conversation with entrepreneurs.
2: Yeah, I mean, for one thing, I would say talk to a good attorney, right? So, <laughs> but But beyond that, I would say even with your attorneys, you will... You know, most attorneys want to try to start with an agreement that is you know one degree off from something they did before and uh, sort of take that and tweak it, modify it to give you an agreement that'll work for you in this circumstance. I guess I would say that frequently when you're representing the entrepreneur, which is usually you know what I'm in a position of doing, uh, you and you're doing a, a licensing deal of some kind with a with a large third party, you frequently have to, Look at an agreement that is produced by the other side and you will see, you know, 30 things in there that are objectionable, you know, five of which would mean that if they stayed as they were, you probably wouldn't do a deal with this party. And then 10 that are quite awful, but, you know, perhaps you could live with them and then you have to sort of pick and choose which ones of those you're going to stand and fight on and which ones you're not going to
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. When you're at that licensing deal, I always stress get a licensing attorney involved. Now, the truth be told, just because an attorney's involved doesn't mean the negotiation's gonna go the way you want, right? I mean, a company can just pull out. Um, And there are certain things that I would absolutely say should be no deal. A client of mine developed an amazing ultrasound gel after going through the process of pregnancy and hated the gel Um, It's generally
0: too cold.
1: (laughs) Very cold. (laughs) But this was a really cool gel that absorbed into the skin and had um, nutrients. It was really awesome. They were at the final stages of the licensing deal, except the contract read that if there was any liability that resulted from the use of the ultrasound gel, the inventor was held responsible. That was a deal breaker because you know, there was just no way that that inventor could take on that kind of risk. And it was quite surprising for our team, but it certainly was something where the attorney said, no deal. Yeah. So again, I think that I always look to the attorney to sort of give that guidance, but then, you know, you get to make the final decision. Yeah,
0: definitely. Is that the sort of thing that you encounter, Steve?
2: those kinds of of one-sided terms. (laughs) Right. Yeah, (laughs) sure.
0: And what is your advice in that case? I'm Obviously, there's negotiating that takes place.
2: Yes, and so I guess I would say when I look at these things, I'm always, uh, you can have a great many things to object about in someone else's one-sided agreement, but I tend to try to to stay focused and, and I would recommend anybody evaluating that agreement stay focused on the things that are most material economically to you. And so that would be just the, some basic things around sort of the guaranteed payments, the the royalty payments, things that get counted against that, things that get charged against that, just what the payment terms are in terms of like, if they have money, how long they will hold on to it before actually delivering it to you. And then what protections are in that agreement for you in terms of your limitation on your liability and what you're agreeing to indemnify that company for.
1: Yeah, I would say that. And also I would say that you can build on it depending on the unit. So a company may say, you know, we're only going to offer you, um, you know, a certain percentage based on these units. But if we blow it out of the water and we're doing triple that, you know, we can scale that up. So I've seen it tiered sometimes depending on the actual contract. But, you know, the other thing is, is just going back to those minimums, making sure it makes sense and aligns. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know, two percent of a thousand is not worth anybody's time. So, uh, but yeah, I think to your comment, there's a lot that can be looked at. But at the end of the day, if the one-sided term, if you negotiate everything on it, you could easily just lose the potential deal. Right? What would you say is the average length? I mean, because does that vary
3: so widely uh, of a licensing?
1: I've seen five years, and then I work with a company right now, um, calling them out, NCH, who um, they do phenomenal work in innovation. uh, But I think their terms are as 10 years. So they're all about long-term, long relationships. um, And uh, actually, they licensed one of the products Mm -hmm. we worked with. Okay. I see it varying.
0: All right. What about it, Colleen? Were they able to help you
3: today? Yes, absolutely. I like I said, I was so <laughs> excited to to be here because I think we're right in this moment, right now. So um, your advice is great, and I think it just helps us frame up, you know, where we want to go. I mean, just thinking about the lifestyle mm-hmm. and all of that, all of that is really helpful. Um, you know, the one other question that I want to pose is when thinking about trademark. I mean, we have ours trademarked here in the U.S. One of the companies is talking about worldwide. Mm-hmm. So how do you reconcile that? they have to do that? Or is that something that, any thoughts there?
2: So, I mean, I would say tend to look at where you're likely to sell the product. So if you're going to sell, say, in the United Kingdom and in Australia, you know, perhaps pursue trademark there, but not in okay. jurisdictions mm-hmm. where you're not going to sell the product.
0: Yeah, I agree. Final questions, comments? Okay, then I have one last question for Colleen. <laughs> okay. Which X have you stalked most
3: on social media? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's see. Probably all of them
1: at some point. <laughs>
3: I'm
1: pretty sure. She answered it was strictly rhetorical. And actually, before social media, it was just you called um, and you hung up. Yeah, right. To right. right. be
0: honest here. Is so true. Well, at least she's a good sport.
1: <laughs> well, thanks, Steve and Colleen, for being on the show. It's really an exciting show for us. Thank you, right Thank you.
0: And hopefully, uh, you guys will come back and give us some more great business advice. Meanwhile, next week on Biz Five Hundred Three, back to the basics. We're going to cover how to build a smart, successful business from the ground up. Thanks so much for joining us on Biz Five Hundred Three on PRP. Have a great weekend.
2: Support for Biz Five Hundred Three comes from Imix Law Group, offering trusted legal advice to startups and small businesses. Imix
1: for business advice.